for the title. Got it. Good snap. The hold is down. It's long enough. It is good. Welcome to another edition of In Play. I'm Craig Maddock. Our In Play podcasts feature high school coaches and players and teams and administrators over the years here in South Dakota. But today's guest is involved in the high school sports world in the state as a radio broadcaster. He was born overseas in a military family and as a youngster moved many, many times. But when it came a time to work in radio for the first time, he moved to South Dakota and has never left. And he's been a staple on the radio across the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. He's broadcast hundreds of ball games. He's watched some great athletes, and there aren't a lot of other broadcasters who have spent the windshield time going to broadcast ball games all across South Dakota as our guest today. And it's the great Tom Casey joining us today. Tom, welcome to EM Play. Thank you, sir. K-I-L-I Radio. It's Keeley Radio there in Pine Ridge. I think it's been around more than 40 years now, Tom. And uh, you're a kid going to school in Colorado at the time. How did you get to Pine Ridge, and, and what were your expectations at that time? It was back in the early to mid-'80s. No, it was 1970, to be exact. Oh, the late-'70s, even earlier. No, no. <laughs> 1970, exactly. Ah. It was in the middle of a crazy time in this country. I was a senior at the University of Colorado. I'd gone to Colorado University on a gymnastics scholarship. I competed uh, gymnastics in high school and got a scholarship to the University of Colorado. I was in my fourth year. I was taking a sociology class. Now, in the spring of 1970, this country was ablaze. We'd had National Guard shoot students at Kent State. We'd had demonstrations all over this country. The invasion of Cambodia brought a new uh, demonstration. Then the University of Colorado shut down, and they went to independent study for all their classes. Mm -hmm. One of the professors there in sociology I sat down with, and he said, we have some students who are up on Pine Ridge who are working, and uh, he asked me if I'd like to join them. It was a master's degree program in sociology in the field, and it was on Pine Ridge Reservation. So he talked to me in May. One month later, in June of 1970, I was on Pine Ridge. I was in Wounded Knee, and uh, I knew no one there, but I joined this program. And uh, it was a program tied up with uh, uh, VISTA. It was a uh-huh. unique pilot program uh-huh. yep. that allowed you to be a VISTA volunteer while you were a grad- graduate student at the university working on your master's degree. So it, uh, it was set to go three years. And uh, that's how I got to Pine Ridge. That's how I got to Wounded Knee. Um, that program ended abruptly after, in 1973, there were uh, a few of us who got inadvertently arrested at Wounded Knee. 
um, the charges are all dropped, mm-hmm. but uh, that kind of tagged us, and the tribal administration wanted to end the program. That They found a way to do it. They ended, ended the program, but you decided to stay. What were you thinking at that time? I was thinking it was a good place to be, good people, nice country, and uh, I just had to find, you know, I did odd jobs. I, I worked in the city park in Gordon, Nebraska. I worked in a bowling alley. Then I went to work for Shannon County Schools, helping to develop curriculum. And then in 1975, I went to work for Oglala Lakota College. I had my master's degree, and I could teach. And so I taught and administrated the program. Um, by a couple of years later, I was still there and created my own department, director of media and publications. So I did, you know, posters, brochures, the college catalog and annual report, uh, did PR forums, did a variety of things. Um, but the radio station started in 1983. I was still at the college and it, I was a little slow on the uptake. I finally decided, well, heck, we've got a radio station right here. So I started in February of 1985. I started a show. On, on Sunday night, it went four hours. It was called On the Road with Oglala Coach College. The <laughs> first sure. hour was an interview of a student, a staff member, a faculty member, community member. The next three hours, I got to play blues and jazz. It was the only blues and jazz show on Keeley Radio. <laughs> and in fact, while I was doing the show, I'd get calls from some people. When are you going to take that shot music off the air (laughs) it had been a country and western show and Uh i turned it to blues and jazz the program director at the station liked it because it added a bit of variety to tv radio so he liked it and that's that's how i got my start and you weren't doing any sports at the time were you oh no 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 see but by showing i was i could interview then i ended up being involved in covering the tribal election and interviewing the presidential and vice presidential candidates. Then, in the turn of the new year, 1986, the sports broadcaster was bailing out. And so the program director said, hey, let's go do a game. I'd never done a game. I was a sports person. I'd been an athlete in college. I'd played baseball. I'd played basketball. I'd done a lot of sports. I followed sports. In fact, when I was in Colorado, I used to sneak into the Denver Broncos Mile High Stadium. I'd hop the fence and and, uh, watch the Denver Broncos. But anyway, (laughs) he said, let's go do a game. So he and I went to the game. Neither one of us ever done a basketball game. So we did a a couple. Then he said, I said, what's on the schedule? He said, well, next weekend we got a triple header in Rapid City. Who's going to do that? Well, you are. (laughs) <laughs> so I was on my own to do three straight games in Rapid City. And that was the beginning. That was in the in the spring of 1986. I went to my first uh, state tournament. It was the, remember they had switched uh, from two classes to three. And Pine Ridge got to the state tournament. And I'll be honest with you. I felt that Pine Ridge that year in the spring of 86 had the best team at state, but they lost in overtime 
double overtime to Beersford. It was on the free throw line. They lost it. So they were out. They ended up taking third in that in that tournament. Uh, so the next year, actually it was the fall of 86, uh, actually winter of 86, um, I actually started covering the Pine Ridge Thorps in the very first game. They went to Douglas, Wyoming for their first game, and I was on their bus and hitchhiking the lawn. I broadcast that game. I ended up doing 21 of their 26 games. It was a historic season because in the spring of 1987, um, the Pine Ridge Thorps ran the table. They ended up being, they were 23-0, and took the regional title in winter, and then went to state as the number one seed. And uh, in the championship game, they played Lennox. About halfway through the third quarter, they were down by eight points. But nobody who had followed Pine Ridge that year was worried. As uh, Willie White, George Battalion, and the yes, boys yes. They said, okay, time to play ball. They kicked it in gear, and they ended up going from eight down to winning by eight. They took the state championship, went 26-0. and That was in March of uh, 1987. So it was a quick uh, introduction to sports and covering and doing radio. It was a good year. What was that very so, first game like, though? I mean, you've n- you'd never broadcast a game before. What what <laughs> what was that game like? Did you know what was well, going on? <laughs> you know the challenge. You know, I mean, baptism under fire, and I obviously the challenge, and which is the same today. I went into this year's 45th annual Lakota Nation Invitational. Um, last Wednesday and at the monument in Rapid City. And certainly, you know, for some teams, it was their first game of the season. Obviously, teams have some players back, but then there's some new players. So the challenge of whether it was last Wednesday or my very first game in January of 1986, you had to know who the players were. You had to connect the players to their numbers and to their position. And so in the very first part of the game, you you got your game face on. You're working to uh, connect numbers of players, and that's your work. And you get that done, then you can comfortably do the play-by-play. Um, one of my challenges, I'm a stat man. So as long as I've done basketball or football, I keep stats along the way. So – and you would add one stat at a time. So one game at a time, I would add things until I came to a time when I would do, I would do points, fouls, rebounds, assists, steals, and oh. block shots oh. while I was doing the play-by-play. That was a challenge. But anyway, yes, it was really difficult. You know, took practice, second game. Then you do three games in a row. <laughs> baptism under fire, baby. You got to do it. So when you started doing ball games, though, you're also uh, working at the radio station. I think you're what the director of development as well for the station. Well, I mean, not, how many how many duties did you have as well, well as uh, see, not, doing all these games? I volunteered at the radio station from '85 until '89. So I would do sports broadcasting, and I would volunteer to do interviews 
either interviews during elections or other interviews that they wanted done. Sure. Until 1989. Then that's when I moved from Oglala Coach College over to the station. And yes, I started as director of development. A year later, the station, you know, they, they struggled a bit. Uh, you know, in public radio and in a small rural area, you're hustling for money. You're hustling for support. And they tried a, a benefit concert. They tried that. The previous year, they'd done one. It worked out well. It made some money. But this year, that year, it was in 90, a year after I'd started volunteering, and the concert lost $85,000. Oh, About no. knocked the station on its behind. And we had to hustle like crazy. So out of that, I became the acting manager. I moved from development director to acting manager. And then in a small station, you're doing, so I was still, I was the acting manager. I did, um, I did programming. I did fundraising. You just, you just had a hand in everything and in order to keep it going. Um, so that's how I ended up being in the managerial position. It was supposed to go for 60 days. Then they'd advertise every position, but. We ended up getting the station back on its feet. Here and look it at it. And look at it today. It is. A, it is a. It is a huge testament to you, Tom. But that that station is so important uh, to the people in Pine Ridge. What does Keeley Radio mean to the folks out there in Pine Ridge? Well, you know, and, and that's how Keeley started. That you have to go back to 1980 in that area. I mean, people were looking at putting something together. And one of the things that was frustrating is that on Pine Ridge, you were covered by TV stations in Rapid City or other radio stations. None of those entities, none of those media outlets were from the Pine Ridge community. So they were outside covering. And that was a frustration. Pine Ridge is a big area, 50 by 100 miles and a lot of wide open spaces. And so in the beginning, the group of people who came together, they they wanted to help connect people, provide communication, and they decided on a radio station. They decided that would be one way to, to connect, to celebrate Lakota culture, and to connect people, communicate uh, news and information, ideas, and... Uh, that, that's how it came about. They started um, in, uh, in February of 1983. They actually built the station in the summer of 82 and and then went on the air in February, February 25th, 1983, first time they went on the air. And that one of the significant things was the first DJ, um, his name was Calvin Tulance, and he spoke in both Lakota and English. And that was really special. You know, in the beginning of the reservation, mm-hmm. there, there was a goal to, um, you know, stop the, stop the culture, stop, you know, assimilate Native people to stop their language and so forth. And here it was, 1983, and the first person on the radio spoke both Lakota and English. It was special. Well, you got special people that are working today, and uh, I know that uh, the folks uh, out in in Keeley Radio Land uh, they they love the station, and uh, you've been a, a major part of it over these years, Tom. 
when you're looking at the sports end of it, though, was it just Pine Ridge? How many how many different classes, uh, schools, do you follow over the years and even currently today? Well, you know, like when I started, they just switched to uh, three classes, uh, AA, A, and B. And, you know, so over the years, I mean, obviously we have, Class A teams on Pine Ridge, uh, Pine Ridge, Red Cloud, Little One. Those are all Class A teams. Crazy Horse up in Wombley is Class B. We've covered Ulrichs as well. Ulrichs is is just west of Pine Ridge Reservation, and actually ninety to ninety five percent of the students that attend Ulrichs are from the reservation from Ogallala. Um, We've also covered White River, which is Class B, mm-hmm. and we've covered, you know, Todd County and St. Francis. We've covered Shine Eagle Butte, um, and I've even been to Takini to, to, to oh. Takini up on Shine River, and that's Class B. We've actually covered, um, had the opportunity um, to cover Double A as well. We there was um, a young man. Uh, who um, he'd, he'd, come, he'd been part of a, there used to be a youth tournament, the B.J. Weston Memorial Basketball Tournament. And it was, they had categories like seven to nine-year-olds and then 10 to 12-year-olds, sometimes 13 to 15. But so it was a youth basketball tournament in the spring. And one one tournament, a young man from Rapid City came down. He's originally from Cheyenne River. His name was Ray Hadboy. And he played, Oh, he's a great player, but he played. He didn't have a hand, a left hand. It was it just you know it was a birth defect, and he had a kind of a stump, but no hand. But he could dribble, he could shoot. He, he was a great player. You know, this youth basketball. He was like, I think, uh, twelve years old. You know, and really played well. Um, years later, he went out for. He lived in Rapid City, and he went out to Rapid City Central as a freshman. He got cut. As a sophomore, he got cut. As a junior, he sprouted some inches, and he finally made the JV team. And as a senior, he was a starter on the Rapid City Central Cobblers team. I told him that if he got to be a starter, that I would come to one of his games and broadcast it. So one day I showed up at Rapid City Central. They were playing Sturgis, and I sat at the scores table and broadcast the double A game and it was and it's back to the way I started. You you had two teams that you Sturgis had never seen. Absolutely Central. I knew Ray Handboy. <laughs> but you were you were game faced, concentrating like crazy to make sure you got all the names squared away uh-huh. and got into the game. But so I did a double A game. Um two years it was two years ago, two or three years ago, there's a young man who is playing for University of South Dakota now, Mason Arshambo. Oh yes. He was at Rapid City Stevens. It was um, a unique year at Stevens. Um, they uh, out of six of their top seven players were native, and four of the five starters were native. And so we covered several of their games um, with at the Rapid City Stevens. And then then we went to the state AA tournament in Rapid City. We didn't have any Class A schools playing. So we went and did the double A tournament with uh, Mason Archambault and his 
teammates. There was a Lawrence from Cheyenne River that played, and uh, there was a, a, a Hunter, and uh, uh, it was great. It I was remember great opportunity. So, I remember those guys. They were yeah, good. They were yeah. good. They could run. They could run. I know you've done a lot of basketball games over the years, but I want to I talk about some of the more memor- uh, memorable players that you got a chance to see. And the one uh, player I never got a chance to see, but I, I wish I would have seen it, and it would have been Sue Ann Big Crow. Um, of course, you know, Pine Ridge won the 1987 championship over Millbank. But Sue Ann Big Crow, I mean, we have her, her name is honored uh, at state basketball every year. With the Spirit of Sue Award, Award. Um, you saw Sue Ann play. Tell me about Sue Ann Big Crow. She was special. She was special. So one number one, she was a good person. Number two, she was a really good student. She got all A's. I mean, she really was focused on being a student athlete, and she was a great player. Man, she would hustle like crazy. She loved the fast break. She was a point guard. She could share the ball. She could shoot the ball. And she started playing on the varsity as an eighth grader. And then as a freshman, um, as a sophomore, you, you talked about Pine Ridge winning this state boys tournament in 1987. Well, two years later, in uh, 1989, uh, Sue Ann was a sophomore that year. And she helped, uh, you know, she was very instrumental in that team, and they went down. They went up and down the road. I remember that we went to um, oh, what was it? Is it Wakanda, um, where Becky Flynn played? Wakanda, correct. Yeah, we went there and played, and uh, went all over and played. That's one of the things about Pine Ridge. Um, Pine Ridge would struggle. Pine Ridge and Red Cloud, the teams on the reservation, struggle to get teams to come to the reservation. So oftentimes they might have two or three or four home games and the rest were on the road to make sure that they could get games in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll come back. Just, just Mendoza, a coach at Pine Ridge, and he never cared about what his overall record was. He wanted to play the best teams, whether it was A or AA, with the idea of getting hardened and getting prepared for the off season. He'd go to Pier, he'd go play Rhapsody Central. He, he went all over. Um, anyway, back to... Um, uh, and that's why Pine Ridge, that girls team went all over that year as well. That was uh, 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 1989. So they um, they ended up in the state tournament in 89. They were the underdog. They ended up in the championship game with Millbank. And Millbank was definitely favored. And uh, they at, with about 10 seconds left in the game, it was tied. It was like 40 all. And Sue Ann brought, you knew who was going to take the shot. Uh, Sue Ann yes. brought the ball down. Uh, yep. Pull up, jumper about 15 feet away. She missed. But as a true, serious basketball player, you follow your shot. She got her own rebound and the put back. And Pine Ridge won the state A championship in 1989 over Melbeck. And uh, that was her as a sophomore. Uh, she struggled the next two years. I mean, she didn't struggle individually. I mean, she continued to score. She's one of the top scorers in the state. And I think she had a, the single season record for a long time. It was 707 points in the season. 
but she was she was a such a real positive role model. She stayed away from alcohol and drugs. She promoted sobriety, along with being a super athlete. I mean, she just was a good person and worked hard to be a role model amongst her high school students there at Pine Ridge. She was great. It was devastating, though. She dies in a car accident on the way to the Miss Basketball Awards after her senior season. Um, It had to be so devastating to the folks. It it was across, not only Pine Ridge, but across the state of South Dakota. It was devastating. I mean, you were thinking along the lines that there's, there's, you don't often have players come from Pine Ridge or Red Cloud or Reservation and, and go on to college and play college ball at, at any level, whether it's NAIA or NCAA Division Two, or, you know, rarely it's Division One, And we were all excited for the opportunity to see her continue on, not only to go to college, get a college education, but also to see what she could do at the next level in the area of basketball. And she died there. Like I said, like you said, she was on her way to the Miss Basketball Banquet and uh, died in a car wreck right about Draper on I-90. I went up and uh, a good friend of hers and I went up and saw the exact place where she went off. Let's talk about some of the, uh, the great, uh, athletes you have seen. Uh, let's talk basketball up on the, on the, on the boys side. Um, who, who were some of the guys that, uh, you just had a thrill watching them play basketball? One of them was, uh, Jess Hart's outstanding basketball player. Was it 47 points? He scored in the state tournament game once. 48. 48. And, I remember and the that. frustrating thing was it was the championship semifinal game in the state tournament. And he was the offense. They could not stop him. Um, I, I think it was Del Rapids they were playing. But they couldn't stop him. And he would drive, pull up. He could shoot threes. He could drive the lane. And he just was unstoppable. And they had a five, six-point lead. He was playing with four fouls. And, you know, sometimes you're just in it and, and you're not thinking. You're just, he was at a half-court line and he went for the steal. Now, whether it was actual foul or just the perception of a foul, he picked up his fifth foul. And was out of the game. Mm. And Delrap came back and tied the game and went into overtime. And they won it in overtime and beat a Jess and his team in overtime. And it just was, you know, Ford Chief was unstoppable. But he picked up his fifth foul of the game and he was out. They lost the game. You know, as uh, he, your, uh, your son, by the way, Mackenzie, he played basketball for Red Cloud. And as broadcasters, some of us get the joy of calling a ball game with our kids playing. So, so how many high school games did you get to call with McKenzie playing basketball? Well, I had had some practice. My older son, Sean, had played uh, first for Red Cloud and then played for Little One. And I did a number of games with Sean playing. How cool was so that? That I was had- cool. I had a little practice. He was uh, <laughs> he was six years ahead of uh, of Mackenzie. So then, when Mackenzie came up, then, and <laughs> it, 
it, it, it's hard. It's really hard. I mean, to, you're broadcasting a game with your son, and uh, my sometimes my partners would say, hey, they have to elbow me to get back on track. You know, <laughs> to be following my son. Uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. Here's a story. Um, Bo LeBeau, we were going to cover the Coach of Nation Invitational up in Rapid City. And before we started, I asked Bo, I said, Bo, your son's playing. Is that going to be a problem? No, no, I'll be okay. Are you sure? <laughs> I just want to make sure because when I schedule the games, I could schedule it so you don't have him. He says, no, I'll be fine. <laughs> so the, the tournament started. He ended up with a Pine Ridge game. And halfway through the game, he was calling me. He said, Tom, I can't do this. I, I can't do the game. I can't do it with my son on the floor. <laughs> and I, but and that's the deal. It's really hard. It's uh, you come across um, coaches who are coaching their own son or daughter. Dusty LeBeau coached every one of his kids to a state tournament, and it was always a challenge. Uh, Brian LaRush, senior, last year, coaching Lower Brule, coached his son Brian uh, LaRush Jr. You know, to uh, they went to the state B tournament and ended up losing. They he, they won a triple overtime game over White River in the uh-huh. semis, yep. and then played the championship game against the Smith. And so, but I talk to him all the time about the challenges of coaching your son or your daughter. Uh, last year, White River's coach Eldon Marshall, both his sons, Dylan Marshall was the starting point guard, and Nick Marshall was the starting two guard. Dylan has graduated and gone on, but Nick Marshall is still there as a junior. And I just did, um, I think, two or three of their games in the Lakota Nation where uh, Joe Styler and Nick Marshall were playing and, and Eldon still coaching. So, yep. yes, the challenge of whether you're coaching or whether you're broadcasting and your son or daughter is playing, it's, it's tough. Well, McKenzie went to go play for South Dakota State University. So for doing, you know, following him uh, at SDSU, plus doing your full slate of basketball games, how often were you able to see McKenzie play for the Jacks? Well, it was an adjustment. The first year, I probably got to, uh, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight games. Um, I was able to increase that um, as the years went on, worked out my schedule on that. I can remember... You were when when your it was his sophomore year, they were going to play Kentucky at Ruff Arena. I originally had two people going with me who wanted to go. They dropped out, so I left on my own and headed for Kentucky, driving across the country <laughs> while he flew. <laughs> he flew with the team, and and I got there. And you know, it's historic. You don't often get the chance to play at Ruff Arena in uh, Lexington, Kentucky. And I got there and was there, and it was it was great. Tom, and all your uh, travels to all these ball games, uh, following your kids uh, to basketball games, whether they played in Kentucky or up in Minnesota, uh, all these games you did across the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation, how many vehicles have you gone through? Well, I'm hard on vehicles, Greg. <laughs> That's what I've heard. I have a nickname. I have a nickname. They call me Crash. I've been good the last couple of years, but over over the years traveling, 
I've hit 29 deer, 11 horses, three cows, uh, three big owls, five wild turkeys, a sheep, and two coyotes. <laughs> it plays havoc with my vehicle. But it, it, it can stop you in your tracks at times. Nothing like uh, coming across having a deer jump out of it. I remember I was coming back from doing a game up at uh, Eagle Butte. My friend and I, Todd O'Brien, were driving. We are just getting ready to come across the bridge at Cheyenne River, and a deer jumped out, and we banged it on the on the left um, left fender, and Todd got out, straightened the fender out so it wasn't scraping against the tire and that, and we just jumped back in the car and seen <laughs> headed south to uh, back to Kyle and Pine Ridge and that. It can be a wild place. You got deer, you got horses, you've got all kinds of animals. Uh, so it's just part of the game. How about the most treacherous trip you've ever had to make uh, to get a broadcast in? Well, snowstorms. <laughs> there's probably more than uh, people have a few views about this. I can remember going to Billings. We had, I think, Pine Ridge and Littlewood who are going up to Billings. They have an early season um, tournament. Up, I think it's the Met Center. I'm not sure. Um, but they used to play up there. Big facility. We went up there. I took my family with me and broadcast, I think, two games Friday and two or three games on Saturday. And then we um, rolled back and we went to Sheridan, Wyoming. And I can remember it was storming and starting to snow bad. And it turns out we got out of Sheridan just before they closed the road. And we shouldn't have left Sheridan. <laughs> it was incredibly difficult. Snow, blinding, barely see the road. Uh, we should have been caught at Sheridan, not let. And it was a blizzard condition. And, you know, it, it can be hazardous. It can be deadly. But we made it. Uh, finally made it. it took us a long time to slow but that's probably one of the worst in, in weather like that you just um it's tough are you still as busy broadcasting games today as you were you know over the past uh, 30 40 years do you still maintain a pretty heavy schedule when it comes to basketball well i'll be honest with you we just finished the 45th annual Lakota Nation Invitational. It was at the Monument. Last year, they added an eight additional teams. So they have 24 girls basketball teams, 24 boys basketball teams. So like for this uh, last week's four days, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, they had eight games a day in all three of the arenas at the Monument in the Ice Arena, in the Barnett Arena, and the brand-new Summit Arena. So we went in there. We broadcast the first three girls' games in the Ice Arena on Wednesday and then went to the Summit and broadcast um, the next five games that were boys' games. And then on Thursday, we were back at 8 o'clock in the morning. They had the championship quarterfinals for each of the girls' and boys' tournaments. And we broadcast, uh, the station broadcast eight games. So um, Stacy Phelps and I, we would do the first three games each day and the last two. 
So we did five of the eight games um, each day. Oh. So that meant that we were in there before eight to get set up and ready to go at 8 a.m. and finish after the last game uh, of the night because we did the first three and the last two. So five games a day for four days. Greg, I'm an old guy. Even at 74, it, it was a marathon. <laughs> <laughs> but come down to the championship games on Saturday night. The girls' championship featured the Red Cloud Lady Crusaders, Maxia Luta, and featured against Lakota Tech. Lakota Tech is in their third year now. Um, both Red Cloud and Lakota Tech played the championship game last year, Bell and I. They went to overtime, and Red Cloud won. Both teams, Red Cloud and Lakota Tech, went to the State A Girls Tournament last spring. It was in Brookings. And then this year, number the Lakota Tech, who had lost two players, but really had um, four of their five starters back, and they were the number one seed. Red Cloud lost six of their top seven players. They still had garnered the number two seed. They beat Rapid City Christian in the semis, and they came up against Lakota Tech in the championship game. And Lakota Tech was favored, bigger, stronger, older, mature. Red Cloud was down early in the second half. They only played two 16-minute halves in this tournament. They were down by 13 points. Uh, early in the second half. And when the dust settled, the youngsters from Red Cloud, faster, quicker, hustled like crazy, put on the full-court press, got turnover after turnover after turnover, and they ended up winning the game 45-38. to 38. It was a great championship game. And then right after that, you have the boys' camp. It's White River, the number one seed, Eldon Marshall. You know, there's players never get to the state tournament in their, in their time. And, and my son, Mackenzie Casey, was one who never got to a state tournament. Eldon Marshall has taken the White River Tigers to 17 straight state C tournaments. So he was the number one seed. They played Rapid City Christian, a young team. They start three sophomores and two seniors. It was a battle. Um, White River went up. Then, Rap City Christian went up. Rap City Christian had the lead at the half. Um, White River made a couple of runs. Rap City Christian held them off. In the end, it was tied 77 all. Um, and it was down to seven seconds. And Christian had the ball. They got it into their uh, really good sophomore, Benson Keeper. He drove down the right side of the lane, pull up jumper, 15 footer at the buzzer. And uh, Ball game. they won the game, 79-77. <laughs> so um, two great championship games. Now, we'd already done 5, 10, 15, 3, 18 games before those two championship games. There's nothing like a good game to crank your old adrenaline up. <laughs> I always That's why I always tell people I love OT. I love overtime. Why? You don't have to worry about getting cranked up. It's a tense game. There's stress. It's exciting. It's, you're pumped up, ready to do the game. People don't realize the energy that it takes to do a game. Do you miss yep. uh, Do you miss doing the jazz show? 
Oh yeah. Yeah, I do. I, I really, it was a nice time. I did an interview and then I could play blues and jazz. I'd tell you a little story. I, cause I was never really a big bad guy, but you know, big band is basically jazz. And, and so one night I got to playing big band music and all of a sudden I got started getting calls and these people were calling me that said, that was the music of our day. It just took us back. That, that, you know, that was their music. You know, um, it just blew me away because I just, you know, I was a youngster. (laughs) I think they might, they might let you do it now again, Tom, if you asked them. (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) Who am I going to ask? Myself? Yeah. It was fun. I always enjoyed doing that. Last one for you, Tom. Uh, you've been involved with high school sports on the radio and helping Keeley Radio on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation for decades. What keeps you excited about this job? You know, as a parent and as a teacher, you know, your goal is to get kids connected. That's what you want. You want them connected. You want them hanging out there by themselves. You want them connected. So they stay involved and they, they figure out ways to reach their potential. And so that's what kept me involved, to stay connected and to continue to work at, at um, like Lakota Nation. I mean, there's 2,500 to 3,000 kids that are participating in the Lakota Nation Invitational. Here's, you got young people involved in a positive activity. Whether it's not just basketball, they have wrestling and archery, a chess tournament, they have an art exhibit, they have a Lakota language bowl, a knowledge bowl, they have cheerleading competition. Um, it's all these different things that keep our young people involved. And I think that's what keeps me involved, um, keeps, keeps me, me connected as well. So I guess that's, that's what it is. If you like what you're hearing, please give us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. Programs such as this are only possible through the continued support of our listeners like you. For South Dakota Public Broadcasting, I'm Craig Maddock. Join us again on the next episode of In Play.